0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Evidence series, which is taught from the book of Esther. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Message title this morning, normally don't give you the title right at the beginning, but the message title this morning is An Endurance to Worship. An Endurance to Worship. You ever known somebody who uh, they just have what you would call a high endurance? You ever known someone like that? I'm thinking of people that they, uh, they run marathons and they have a high endurance to, to run marathons, or uh, those who maybe have a high endurance to bike for miles and miles and miles. Uh, maybe people who have a high workout endurance, they can just spend hours in the gym. Um, we, uh, <coughs> at this college retreat, if you, we were. Uh, <laughs> Tongue twisted. Uh, this weekend, Thursday, Friday, and yesterday, my wife and I were at a college retreat, speaking uh, for a church in Canada, but it was in Seattle. And uh, one of the college students there, uh, he's actually a, a national speed skater for the country of Canada, and uh, he was. We I went to the the hotel. Uh, Uh, exercise room on Friday morning, and I just do treadmill, you know, just exercise on the treadmill, walk and run a little bit. And I look over, and his name is Anders, and uh, Anders is is lifting weights, and he's doing all this crazy stuff. And, And I said, well, what do you normally do for your workouts? And he began to show me how he normally works out if he's not on the ice skating rink and he began to show all these speed skating poses that he does, and he was like, well, I do this, and I hold it for 30 seconds, and then I do this, and hold it for 30 seconds, and then I do this, and he's going up on one leg and balancing all this stuff, and I thought, man, after just talking about that, I'm tired, (laughs) like I do not have a high endurance like that, you know, I have a high endurance to eat, does that count, you know, Man, we all know people who probably have a high endurance of something, I remember, when I was first really introduced to people who had a high endurance, I was in the 10th grade. I wanted to play football, I was brand new at the school and uh, it was my first year in public high school, so I wanted to play football at school that year. And I remember going up to one of the uh, um, uh, PE coaches, his name was Mike Hanby, and still stay in touch with him a little bit. And I went up, I said, Coach Hanby, I said, "I I wanna get ready for football season. He was like, Dennis, I know what you should do to get ready for football season. I said, what's that? He said, you should join cross country. Yeah. What's cross country? He's like, well, we just, we just meet and, and we just exercise together. i like, all right, I'll join cross country. So I went I joined cross country. The second day of cross country, I realized what cross country was. It's my worst enemy. It's just running, pointless running. You're not running after a ball. You're not running to try to score anything. You're just running. Quinn, that doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, I, I remember uh, my first race, it was like two weeks in, and I forget exactly how long it was, and uh, of course, we had done all these practices and run, and uh, I can remember one girl, her name was Raquel, and she, uh, she was a cross-country runner, and she could, just, she could just run for hours on end, and so all these guys and, and girls, they're trying to encourage me, it's all right, Dennis, you'll do great on this race, you know, and all you gotta do is, you know, it's, it's two miles, you gotta run this, you're, you're a starter, so it'll be this far, and you can do it, you know, and, Man, I got like a hundred yards in. And I was like, I hate my life. I was like, God, strike me down now. Hard to do something. I don't wanna do this, you know? And I I remember looking ahead and this friend of mine, his name was Paul, he ran up alongside me and he said what I was thinking. This is miserable, I hate this. And I was like, I know, me too. And he was like, let's just make it to the trees. If we make it to the trees, we can stop. And then no one will see us stop. And we can do it. I was like, all right. You know, of course we're already last. You know. <laughs> and I get there to the trees and I remember like oh. <laughs> and sitting down and then people start lapping us. You know how humiliating that is? Well, I got over it quickly cuz I quit cross country. <laughs> I was like, Coach Hanby, when I wanted to get in shape for football, I meant like hitting people or something, you know? In football, you run and then you stop. Like, that's what I wanted. Here's what I've learned about people with high endurance. You have to have the right motivation to have the endurance. You just do. I can get on a basketball court and run back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and just, I mean, exert all of my energy because I have a goal of scoring and playing basketball is worth it to me. Playing a sport of football is worth it to me. Cross country, not so much. It's not worth it. In our series, we've been going through the book of Esther, and we've been trying to discover some things. And what we've seen so far in, in the life of Esther is we saw the timeline a little bit. And again, I know you can't see this and read it all, but we've seen the timeline of Esther that it would be probably like about 485 or 483 BC till about 473 BC, about 11 years, the story of Esther. And what we're reading is we're reading about people, God's people, who they should have gone back into Israel. That's what God had told them to do. And, and a few years earlier, Ezra had taken the, remnant of people and gone back into Israel and really only about 60,000 went. So there was tons of, uh, of, 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 uh, Hebrews that stayed and they, they stayed in, uh, this Persian median empire. And, and that's, that's the life of the people we're looking at. And that's when Esther would have taken place. Well, we met in our first message, the king, his name was King Ahasuerus and he was the king over 127 provinces. And during that uh, first message, chapter number one, we discover that King Ahasuerus was a very, very proud man. How did we know that he was proud? Because he threw a party for 180 days to celebrate him. That's what it was to celebrate his riches, his greatness, his life, the reach of his reign, how many people he had conquered, and that 180 days, all 127 provinces, come and celebrate me. Well, those 120 days, 180 days weren't enough, and so they had another seven days. Seven days specifically of a party time for those from Shushan the palace. Because those in Shushan the palace, that city, They had been throwing the party for 180 days for six months. Now they need a little time to celebrate themselves. Well, the scripture tells us that he didn't just stop at wanting to flaunt his riches to show how good and how great he was. He actually took it a step further and in a a drunken stupor, he made the decision to call for his wife to come and model before all of the princes so that he could flaunt her hey, you wanna see how good I am? Look at the beauty of my wife. Now we even read, and if you were here a few weeks ago when we got that message, we even read from secular authors that that was taboo in that time. No, you would not do that. But in his drunkenness, he made a foolish decision. And Vashti, his wife, she said, no, I'm not gonna do that. Well, that kind of blew things up. Because then it's like one of the guys comes to him. Remember, his name was... Mamukin, I remember that. Yeah, and we call him what? Mapuken. yeah. We, we had Mamukin and Mamukin's there, and he says, King, um, we gotta do something about your wife telling you no. Because if your wife tells you no, our wives are gonna tell us no. Because as it is in the king's house, so it is in the pauper's house. And so we need to, we need to do something about this. Hey, king, kick her out. And the king in his drunken state, he says, that's a good idea. Vashti, you're gone. But the Bible tells us in Esther chapter two and verse number one that he looks back at his decision. It says when his wrath was appeased and he remembered what Vashti had done, he remembered how he treated her. And from that verse, we can understand the regret that he had, the regret of the bad decision he made, kicking Vashti out. Well, Esther chapter two, what we saw last week is that the princes and Mamukin and others, they begin to look at the king and think he's pretty ticked off. And if he's ticked off, he has no one to take it out on. He used to take it out on Vashti. Now he's gonna take it out on us. We gotta get him a new wife. And so I say, king, we got another good idea. Now, so far we've learned that their ideas weren't good ideas. And it just, it just wasn't a good idea. But we've got this great idea. What's your idea now? Well, our idea is to find as many uh, beautiful young virgins that men, people have never, girls that have never known a man and bring them in and host a beauty pageant. And whichever one you find most attractive and pleases you the most, then make them your wife. King goes, all right, let's do it. And what we learned from that is when you leave God out of your decisions, you make foolish choices, and that's, that's the fact. When you leave God out of decisions, you make foolish choices, but in his foolishness, right, that was the ideas of the godless culture. We saw that, that, that's what we called that thought, the ideas of a godless culture. We took time to see God's involvement in the godless culture, because here's what God was doing. God was setting the stage, because in Esther chapter 2, in verse number six, five, six, and seven, we meet a man by the name of Mordecai, and we meet his cousin whose name was Hadassah or Esther. And here's what happens with Esther. They come, they knock on Mordecai's door. Are there any uh, young virgins here? And he says, yes, there's one. And they said, well, by decree of the king, uh, we're going to take her. And they literally go in. And you can read verse number six. I think the word is uh, brought. And that word brought, it means to bring or to command by force and bring her in. And so she's gonna come and she's going to perhaps become the queen. Well, Esther goes. And long story short, her time comes to go before the king, and immediately he chooses her. Immediately he chooses her. We say, Pastor, what, is, what, what did we see in that message? The title of the series, the whole series, is Evidence seeing God when you don't see God. Because in the whole book of Esther, you don't see God's name, but in the whole book of Esther, you can see God's involvement. And what God was doing is God used uh, the character of Mordecai to invest into Esther. And then he would set Esther up and we'll see it next week for such a time as this, that God put Esther in a place. And what we're gonna discover at the end of the series is that she's used to save an entire people but the scene had to be set up. God set it all up. He was working behind the scenes or backstage. When it seemed like God was not around, we find that God was still on the throne. What a great helpful tool for, a tip for us in our life. You ever been in a time when it just seemed like God, God wasn't around? Yeah, we've all been through that. God, what, what are you doing? God, Cancer? God, what is this? God, God, financial struggles? What's going on? God, sick child? God, what is happening? It just seems like you're not in control, and when we look at the book of Esther, we can remember that when it seems like God is not in control, we can rest assured that he really is in control, that he is still on the throne, and that nothing catches God by surprise. Well, as we come back into our story and We're going to come this morning to the book of Esther and and chapter number three. And so I want you to stand with me, if you would, Esther and, and chapter three. And we're just going to read the first five verses of Esther, chapter number three. And you can look on the screen or there in your Bible. And let's notice these words together, because here's what we read. After these things... So these things, it's talking about uh, everything that took place in chapter one, Esther becoming queen in chapter two, and now we're into chapter number three. Let me tell you very quickly, between Esther becoming queen and the events that we read in Esther chapter number three, five years has taken place, all right? Four four years, four and a half years, five at the most. That's what's taken place. So here we are five years later. After these things did Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above the princes that were with him. He became the prime minister. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. As we continue our series this morning, What I want us to take time and see is the endurance of Mordecai. Because just as people have a high endurance in working out and they have the right motivation for it or playing football or, God forbid, running cross country and they have the right motivation for it, we're gonna see this morning that in order to have a high endurance in worshiping God, you've gotta have the right motivation. You've gotta have the right motivation thing driving you to do it. And what we're going to see this morning is Mordecai's motivation for not bowing and worshiping Haman. Instead, Mordecai reserved his worship for God Almighty, and we're going to be challenged to do the same. And so let's uh, go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our message. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a moment and just ask God to speak into your life today. Just ask the Lord, God, please speak into my heart today. And then make a commitment that as he speaks to you that you're listening. God, as you speak to me, I'm listening to you. Dear Lord, we come before you again. We thank you for the word. We pray that you'd use it. Speak to us. God, I just humble myself and I ask you that it would be your words and not mine today. And Lord, that you would challenge each of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we start in our passage this morning, I want you to notice, first of all, what I'm calling an unwavering stand, an unwavering stand. If you come to uh, Esther chapter three, verses one through five, we're introduced to a new character. That character, his name is Haman. Haman, and he is an Agagite or an Agagite or an Amalekite is what we would probably know him as. If you know biblical history, the people of the Amalekite, one of their famous kings was King Agag. And so often they would refer to them as an Agagite or an Agagite. And so this Haman, he, he's introduced to us and he's introduced to us as having come and been promoted now to become second in command outside of the king and queen. So you have King Ahasuerus and Queen Esther and now you have Haman. Haman, the prime minister. Haman, the one who's going to be making some decisions and kind of uh, ruling in, in, on behalf of the king. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what we find is that Haman was not, a forgiving and good man. Haman was a very bitter, wicked, wrath, uh, pride-filled man. You say, how do we know that? Because a decree came out. The decree was that people were to bow to Haman. Okay, now, bowing's not, not that bad. I mean, people still do that, bowing to a king or a ruler. That was, that's what it is, to bow, just simply to crouch down. But the decree from King Ahasuerus was not that you just had to bow and crouch down. The decree was that you would have to bow in reverence. Bow and reverence. The word reverence in this particular portion of scripture, it means to worship. That's what it means. So the decree literally was you had to bow before in worship as you would a god. That was the king's decree. So when Haman would enter into a room, everybody was to bow in worship, not in respect. This was not a bowing in respect thing. Oh, there's, oh there's, the, there's the king. Oh, we just bowed at you. This was not a bowing in respect. This was a bowing in worship. Oh, there's Haman. Boy, he is like a god. You better get down and, and you better get low and make sure that you keep your head down. And, and there were certain techniques of bowing and all of this. It was in order to bow to Haman, to bow to him, just like you would a king bowing in worship. Well, one day Haman enters into the king's gate The king's gate would be an area uh, that would be uh, known for uh, political decisions and an area that would be uh, public deliberation would take place and uh, maybe administration of justice like the court system or uh, you could have audience before the king or ambassadors at the king's gate. Well, Mordecai, remember Esther's cousin, he's the keeper of the king's gate. So he's kind of responsible for that area. Now, there's some speculation as to how big the king's gate area would be, but let's just say it be about the size of the auditorium here, that people would come in one way, and so the, the king's uh, quarters and the palace was behind me, and so you'd have to come in over there and, and pass through the king's gatekeeper as well as other guards, and then you could perhaps find audience before the king or one of the rulers or ambassadors. Well, one day, Haman's passing through the king's gate, and as he passes through Everybody bows in reverence, but Mordecai, the king's gatekeeper, he's just standing off to the side. And I don't, I don't see Mordecai as a proud man. I don't see Mordecai as one that was a disrespectful man. So, so maybe as Haman went by, maybe Mordecai just kind of just nodded. I don't say, I don't see Mordecai as a jerk standing there going, I'm not going to do this. I don't see him as that. I see Mordecai we'll see later on as a humble man and, and as one that, that definitely feared God. And we'll see this later. But Haman goes by. Haman doesn't really even notice. It, it, the, the passage would lead us to understand that Haman doesn't really even take note. But other people do. And they go, hey, Mordecai, why aren't you bowing? Next day, Mordecai, why, why don't you bow? Mordecai, Haman's coming. Bow Mordecai, Haman's coming. Here's your chance. Bow. And it says in verse number four that daily they asked him, and he kept giving them the same answer. Look at the end of verse number four. The answer that, they, that he gave time and time and time again. The end of verse number four, it says, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Hey, Mordecai, why aren't you bowing? Um, because I am a Jew. Next day, Mordecai, why aren't you bowing? Because I'm a Jew third, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, maybe a week goes by. And then these guys get, they're almost jealous, almost envious, why why do we have to bow? And he doesn't. And so they take the matter to Haman. That's what verse number four says. They take the matter to Haman to see whether his reason would stand. Now, when you and I read the Bible, we've got to understand that oftentimes there's more going on than we read on the page. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole uh, backstory to it. There's a lot of moving parts, it's very fluid and a lot of things are taking place. And so one of the questions I had is why did they wonder if his reason would stand? Apparently in their mind, it was a valid reason. That's what, I mean, that, that's why they would ask, well, I, I, huh, well, that, that kind of makes sense that he's a Jew and he's not bowing. I, I wonder if that'll stand. Now to you and I, we would say, well, why would that make sense? I mean, I, all I read is him saying for, you know, that he, I'm a Jew, that, that's why I'm not bowing. Here's what we have to understand in taking the scripture, putting it into context and into historical context is by Mordecai saying, I am a Jew, Mordecai was not just claiming a people, he was claiming a God. That's what it was. Mordecai wasn't just saying, well, I'm a Jew. You know, that's just my people. I'm a Hebrew. You know, like, oh, well, I'm an American or well, I'm from Canada or well. No, that's not what he said. I am a Jew. And by that, he was stating, I bow and worship Jehovah God alone. I may bow to somebody to show respect, but I will not bow to worship. I will not bow and reverence. Why not, Mordecai? Because I I'm a Jew because I am a follower of Jehovah God. And I see here Mordecai having an understanding to have an unwavering stand. Um, And daily, daily they came to him. That's what verse four says. Daily they came and and pressured him. And Mordecai, yet in the midst of peer pressure, he still stood and said, no, I will worship God and I'll worship him alone. I think of Ephesians chapter number 20 in verse three through five. Mordecai knew these verses. Thou shalt have no other gods before for me. Thou shalt not make unto thee a graven image or any likeness of anything in heaven above or that is an earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself to them nor serve them. Well, why Mordecai or why why, God? Because I am the Lord thy God. I'm a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. What we need to understand is Mordecai was not simply saying, well, it's my nature. It's my people group. Well, it's just because I, that's just kind of who I am, you know, I don't like Haman very much. No, Mordecai said, I will only bow in worship to one God and his name is Jehovah God. That's what it means in verse number four when he said, for I am a Jew, I worship one God alone. I think of Exodus chapter 34 and verse number 14 where the principle is given, thou shalt worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Let me just tell you this morning that God will not share the throne of your heart with anything or anyone. He wants your worship. And I'm gonna say it like this. He deserves our worship. He is God alone he is Jehovah creator. He is majestic. He is wonderful. He is the counselor. He is the mighty God, the prince of peace, the everlasting father. He is El Shaddai. He is El Roi. He is Jehovah God, King Almighty. And he deserves to be worshiped and to be worshiped alone. And that's the statement Mordecai's making. An unwavering stand. But I want you to notice secondly with me this morning that we see an unhinged reaction. An unhinged reaction. Notice if you will, verse six, down through verse number 15. Esther chapter three, verse six through 15. Let's, Let's see what Haman's response is. Verse five, let's start there. When Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor worshiped him, Then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. That's an interesting statement. We'll see it in a second. He thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. In the first month, that is the month of Nisan, that would be April. In the 12th year of King Ahasuerus, uh, remember we met King Ahasuerus in the seventh year, so we're five years later. They cast per cast lots, that is the lot before Haman from day to day. And uh, from month to month to the 12th month or March, that is the month Adar. Really confusing, isn't it? I'll explain it in a second. Verse number eight, and Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people, Scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver to the hands of those that have charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king. He took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hammedatha the Agagite, and Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, the silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then there were the king's scribes called on the 13th day of the first month. And there was written according to all that Haman had commanded the king's lieutenants and the governors that were over every province and to every rulers of every uh, people of every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. Verse 13 and 14 and 15, the the letter, the signing, the uh, uh, declaration is sent throughout all the provinces. In verse number 15, it says, the post went out being hastened by the king's commandment and the decree was given in Shushan the palace and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city Shushan was perplexed. You say, pastor, what is the unhinged reaction? The unhinged reaction is Haman, he's not having it. He is not having it. He's not thinking logically about it. He's not, he's not even uh, giving it a second thought. No, verse number five, it says that when Haman knew, he was filled with wrath. He's filled with anger. He's filled with pride. And you know what Haman did? He didn't even, he didn't even say, well, I just wanna kill Mordecai. If you look at verse number uh, uh, six, it says he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. You say, well, what does that mean? Haman, he thinks, you know, it would be a bad thing to just kill Mordecai. We've got to take care of all these people. Because if if Mordecai's, don't, this is really good. If Mordecai's reasoning to bow is I am a Jew, then all the other Jews will probably have that reasoning. Boy, there's a lot that we could learn right now about the name Christian. There's some characteristics that just kind of come along with, with the, the declaration that you make about yourself. And Mordecai's declaration was, I am a Jew, I bow not, I worship not. And it was assumed by Haman, Well, since he's a Jew and bows not and worships not, I bet you every other Jew does that as well. And you and I need to understand that the same comparisons are made today, that you you and I need to be careful of our testimony. Why? Because we carry the name of Almighty God and may people look at us and say, well, if that's a Christian then, and that's a Christian, I bet you they're gonna act a lot alike. I bet you they're going to worship God. I bet you they're going to, and there's so much we can learn from that. We don't have time or we'd be in this series for decades maybe not decades, but at least more than 10 weeks that we're going to be in it. Here's the truth we need to understand. This unhinged reaction was, ah, I'm not having it. Kill them, kill them all. That's Haman's response. So he comes up with this plan. Verse seven, the plan is to kill off all the Jews. Verse seven is, well, when are we gonna do it? And they cast purr, or they cast lots, they kind of take some sticks or they take some pieces of paper and they go, all right, uh, in here is every, the, the month of every day. once don't, don't you draw a month? Uh, in here is all the days of the month. once not you draw a day? And, and the Bible tells us what month and what day they drew. If you go to verse number 12, I think it tells us the 13th day of the 12th month. So the 13th of March. You say March, I thought the 12th month was December. We're not operating off of our year, we're operating off of their year, the medio persian year, April to March. We're in the first month, the decree is this. In 11 months, you have permission to kill any Jew. That's the decree of the king. No wonder you read the end of verse number 15 where it says in Shushan, the palace, the people, what were they? Perplexed. They were perplexed. Do you know why they were perplexed? I believe it's because this was uncharacteristic of the king. Even though the king was a very proud man and one who was not the most wise, they were perplexed because it's like, the Jews have lived among us for decades. I know my neighbor there. They're not that bad of a person. And the whole city was perplexed. But you know what Haman and King Ahasuerus are doing? They're just sitting down for a drink. Doesn't affect them at all. It's an unhinged reaction. And I want, you to, I want you to see why the unhinged reaction took place. Two things. Number one, Haman's pride. Number two, Haman's anger. So two reasons, his pride and his anger. His pride was, why don't they bow down to me? Why doesn't Mordecai bow down to me? Doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he know what I am? Doesn't he know that that the king made a decree that you're supposed to bow and worship me? Come on, you need to get your act together. Don't you know what I am? Don't you know my position? And pride, and then he's filled with wrath. Let me just cut to uh, a quick thought here. Pride and anger never bring out the best in people. Pride and anger never bring out the best in people. It's because of pride that Haman is going to try to take out an an entire people group. And of course, we're going to see where his pride gets him. I'll just just summarize it for you right now it gets him hung. His own pride and anger gets him killed in the end. It never results in good things happening. We can look, and you can look in just about every newspaper. And you can see stories of pride and stories of anger. I just, out of curiosity, I just uh, Googled crimes committed because of anger. And there was article after article after article after article of things that happened because of anger. I mean, stories of murders because of anger, stories of domestic violence that end up in in very uh, hurtful things because of anger, stories of beatings and burnings, all because of anger. Uh, But you know what? Even more than that, there aren't just deep, deep deep-rooted things and crimes that happen because of anger. I want you to think right now about in your personal life and my personal life, what can happen because of anger? Well, because of anger and pride, relationships are broken. Because of anger and pride in the family, I've seen family members literally stop talking to each other for years because of pride and anger. And maybe that's you, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody's story, but are you kidding me? Well, you just don't know what they did to me. That's a different message. We're going to talk about forgiveness. But anger ruins relationships. And I'm not talking about trusting somebody who who has uh, gone and taken advantage of you and those type of relationships. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, well, there was this one family reunion and they said this about me and, oh, well, I'm just not gonna talk to you anymore. I was talking with a man one time and he said, well, I haven't talked to my daughter in 10 years. I said, why? Something crazy must have happened because I didn't like who she married. Really? Really? Why is that? Pride. Anger. Well, you don't know them. Get to know them. There's, I'm just talking about the damage of pride and anger. People uh, don't talk to each other for years. Uh, because of anger and pride, people lose jobs. Because of anger and pride, friendships are broken because of anger and pride. Listen, anger and pride never, it never result in a healthier situation. Ever. What a lesson to learn to control our anger and allow God to help us with pride and anger. The Proverbs eleven two it says, when pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs fifteen eighteen. a wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Hey, a wrathful man, he's just gonna stir up a fight, but someone who's slow to anger is gonna push back a fight. Oh, can I just tell you right now? Haman, this is an unhinged reaction that comes just because of pride and anger. What a lesson for us. God, keep pride and anger out of my life. God, help me with pride and anger. God, help me not to lose my temper with my family. God, help me not to to lose it at work. Man, and every single person deals with it. A little bit differently, maybe. Your pride might not come out in swinging fists, maybe it might come out in just a, a short cut down. I'll tell you how my pride comes out and my anger, it comes out through sarcasm and cuts. And years ago, I had to learn, Dennis, you've gotta to learn to control this because you're hurting relationships because of your pride and anger. Man, health, situations are never healthier because of pride and anger. So I'm looking this morning, I see an unwavering stand. Haman, he, or Mordecai, he didn't bow but i see because of this an unhinged reaction but i want you to notice lastly with me this morning what i'm calling an underlying plot an underlying plot haman's plan was to kill off all of jews but we need to understand that behind this whole plot is the devil's desire to destroy the people of god do you realize that the devil has been after the people of god ever since the garden Satan has been after the people of God ever since the garden. We don't have time to do it, but really we could just understand that the devil, he hates mankind, but he specifically hates those who follow after Jehovah God. And, and all throughout the word of God, we can see attacks against God's people. Go back to Exodus and we can see Pharaoh and the Egyptians trying to take out the people of God. How about you go and you go into the book of Joshua where you can see the enemies of the people of God trying to annihilate them in the promised land time and time and time again. You can see the devil even using the kings of the people of God to try to kill off the people of God like King Ahab and Jezebel that were used in annihilating some of their own people. What is that? That's the devil trying to take out God's people. I think about uh, Nehemiah and Sanballat and Tobiah, what did they try to do? They tried to take out the people of God. You can look even during the time of Jesus. Jesus was born and what happened? Herod came and what did he do? He wiped out all the boys. Why? He's trying to just annihilate any hope that they have of someone ever taking the throne. All throughout history, the devil has used pawns to try to take out the people of God. Behind it all, behind it is the devil's plan and in our passage he wants to kill off the people of God and he uses Haman's anger and pride as a tool to attack the people of God. But I want you to see that Mordecai's refusal to bow and his courage to stand it caused him to be the target of that hatred. Haman was the tool, Mordecai was the target. Haman was the tool because of pride and anger. Mordecai was the target because of courage to stand. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you a tool or a target in the eyes of the enemy? What are you? Does your pride and anger cause you to be someone that causes divisiveness in relationships and pushes people away from God? Or is the devil looking at your life and saying, man, they will stand for God over anything. Man, I wanna take that Christian out. I wanna take that Christian out. Someone would say, well, I don't want to have a bullseye on me. Listen, you are either a tool or a target. And I would much rather be a target of the devil, uh, excuse, a target of the devil than a tool in the devil's hands. I would much rather be a target with God's strength and God's help than a tool that the devil says, well, I'm gonna use them. I'm gonna use them to break up that marriage. I'm gonna use them to tear down that church. I'm gonna use them to gossip about them. Well, I'm gonna use them uh, to hurt that situation. I'm gonna use them as a tool in my hand. You see, what God is going to try to do is God is going to try to strengthen his people and give courage to his people and give help to his people. But what the devil is going to do is he's going to say, who can I use to tear this thing down? Who can I use to defeat the, the, the believers and followers of God? And still today, when we look out in this room today, you are either a tool or you are a target in the eyes of the enemy. Be a target. Well, how can I be a target? Worship God alone. <clears throat> when you look at this passage, we can see that God, I, I believe, God is strengthening Mordecai to stand. I don't believe Mordecai stood on his own. I believe that God was helping his child to stand. And as, as, we, as we look at this, I, I've been trying to go through each message and each passage. And I'm trying to preach the story and, and help us see it in today's terms and maybe understand some, some thoughts about it. I think that helps us as we read the word of God. I'm trying to bring out some little things, you know, are you a tool or a target? What are you worshiping? Different things like that. And maybe uh, different things like we saw last week of having character and all that. So I'm trying to bring out some of that stuff. But the overlying principle I'm trying to get at each week is where's the evidence Where is the evidence? How can you see God when you don't see God? And here we are again, Esther chapter three, a passage where we we don't see God. You don't see God mentioned at all in the chapter of Esther chapter three. So how do we see God? After some study and some reading and just pondering and some prayer, here's how I believe we can see God. I believe we see God reminding Haman and reminding every reader of the book of Esther that he will always help his children who are willing to stand. And I see God giving Mordecai the strength to stand. And day after day after day after day, he is being questioned. Why don't you bow? Why don't you worship? Why don't you give in? Why don't you stop claiming your God? Why don't you stop claiming your people? Why don't you stop claiming Jehovah? And day after day after day, I see an unwavering stand. Oh, I don't see Mordecai in arrogance. I said it a moment ago. I don't see him going, I'm not gonna stand because Haman's a dirt bag. We don't even see that in chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. You don't see it at all. You see Mordecai humbly just saying, well, I'm a Jew. I worship God alone. Mordecai, he had endurance to stand when others were bowing. And I believe the reason that Mordecai had endurance is because his cause was worth it to him. What was his cause? God. Mordecai understood who God was. Mordecai feared God. Not by fearing, oh, he's gonna hurt me. He respected him, and Mordecai said, my bowing and my reverence is reserved for the audience of one, and his name is Jehovah God. He will not share the throne with anyone. And I want you to see with me this morning as we close everything out, that God had Mordecai's worship, and therefore, he had Mordecai's heart. As a result, God strengthened Mordecai to stand. Let me help you and I understand this morning that God is still looking for some Mordecais who will stand and refuse to bow. Oh, we don't have to refuse to bow to an official or a leader. There's no politician walking in today and saying, I demand that you bow and worship me oh, we're not gonna bow and worship some idol. You know, I mean, setting up some shrine here and and we're not dealing with going to, to, I I don't think today, I've never been to everybody's house, but most of you have been to your house or something like that. I've never been introduced to a room with a shrine other than my Bronco shrine, but even then, we're not going into something, joke, we're not going into something and seeing candles lit, a little statue. I've never, never been to Gordon's house and, and seen candles lit a little statue and we walk past it and Gordon kneels down every time and has to get canes and stuff to get him back up, but kneels down every time. I, I, haven't, bl- I haven't been to, to Daniel and Sarah's house and walk in and see a, a little shrine where they come in and they have to kiss the statue. No, that's not what we're talking about this morning. Listen, idolatry, we just finished our series in Hosea. Idolatry is when you put anything before God, even good things, like your job. And you put your job, and your job becomes more important to you than your walk with God. You know what that is? Idolatry. Your family, it's good to have family, but when your family becomes more important to you than your relationship with God, it's idolatry. Your hobbies, it may be a good thing to be a a sports fan, and I like sports, but if sports ever become more important to me than my walk with God, it is idolatry. Uh, it It may be church. Church is a good thing, but if I put my church before even my walk with God, it is idolatry, and here's what we need today is we need some Christians who are going to wake up and say, I am not going to bow down anymore. I'm not putting anything before God. No, he will have the preeminence like we looked at in Colossians last year. And that means that Jesus doesn't wanna just be prominent or be a priority, but he wants to be preeminent. He wants to not be seen with anything else. He wants to be seen him and him alone. That's what preeminence is. It is saying, God, I worship you. I bow down to you and you alone. And when God has your worship, God will have your heart. And when God has your heart, God will give you the strength to continue to stand. And that's exactly what we see see in the life of Mordecai. Don't miss it. It's a phenomenal story. Why? Because there's evidence. Evidence that when you don't see God, oh, you can see God all over it. I want to ask you just a few questions this morning. Number one, what are you bowing to? What are you bowing to? Who or what has your worship? Who or what has your worship? Again, we're not talking about a shrine or a, uh, another person, you know, bowing down to a king. No, I, w- I wonder maybe, maybe money has your worship, the almighty dollar. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a sin. What is there in your life that you're putting before your relationship with God? Can I tell you, quit bowing down. Second question I wanna ask you, and it's not on the screen. But it's are you a tool or a target? Is your anger and your pride causing you to be used by Satan to be divisive? Or is your worship of God causing the devil to look at you and say, they've got a target on their back because they won't bow down? What God needs today is some Christians who are going to say, I'm done being a tool. I'm done being a tool in the enemy's eyes. I'm going to start being a target in his eyes. But then today, maybe the reason that you aren't worshiping God, maybe the reason God doesn't have your heart is because you do not know God. I want to ask you this question, and I'm done. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you know if you died today that you'd spend eternity in heaven? If you don't, God desires that you would know that. You could know for sure your sins are forgiven. You could know for sure that Jesus Christ is in your life. But you have to make the decision to receive him into your heart. How do I do that? The Bible says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. A few verses later, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He gave his life so that you could have eternal life. Being in church won't get you to heaven. Being baptized won't get you to heaven. Being a good person won't get you to heaven. Trying to just go through life and worship God alone won't get you to heaven. The only thing that'll get you to heaven is if you have a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. Have you asked him to forgive you of your sin to come into your life and save you? i like every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want to challenge you today to re- respond to God as he's spoken to you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here this morning, say, Pastor, God spoke to my heart today. He spoke to my heart. Why don't you slip your hand right up and right back down. Pastor, God spoke to me today. Just right up and right back down. If God spoke to you, respond to him. But maybe you're here and you'd say, Pastor, God spoke to me about knowing him as Savior. I don't know if I died today. I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure of that. If you're here, maybe this is your first time. Maybe it's your 10th time. Maybe you've been here for a while but you don't know that in your own heart. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you by name, but I would like to pray for you. If that's you today, God, or Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor, pray for me. I don't know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. Just right up and right back down. I'm gonna pray for you, and if that's you today, I wanna encourage you to respond. Let someone show you from the word of God how you can know you're going to heaven. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit MosesLakeBaptistChurch.com.